0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. I'll pray for us. Uh, Father God, um... Lord, thank you so much for just letting us be here in this space and for just being faithful to just make community around here apparent in a city that's so transient, Lord. Uh, Father God, I just pray that these words wouldn't fall over our heads, but that we could actually read through it and understand what you're trying to say about who you are and us too, God. Uh, Lord, just thank you. I praise you. And I pray that, um, as Randall speaks, that... Your mouth would be through him, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Stephen. Hey, good morning. My name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor, Grace City. And uh, it's an honor to, to be here. Um, you know, we are going through our sixth Vision Sunday. Out of all the years that we've been here, um, and it's a little different from a normal Sunday because when we have Vision Sunday, we talk about you know what has happened and, and what is going to happen moving forward by God's grace. Uh, it gives us a chance to to look back, and so we've been a church for a, a little under three years, and it's been amazing to see how things have changed um, and what God has done over those three years. Um, And and, and so as we go through Vision Sunday, the text that's really gonna guide us today is Proverbs 11, uh, 10 through 11. And the message is entitled, A People for the City. A People for the City. You know, as we look at that passage of scripture in Proverbs, probably many of us have just kind of skipped over it and looked at our lives and said, well, how does that really apply to me? Um, But really, today, my prayer is that we lock into this, uh, because this has to do a lot with the vision of what Grace City is all about. And so I want to start with this question. Why, Why does Grace City exist? Why does this local church exist? You know, we planted Grace City in 2015, um, and really it started with the heart of prayer, studying God's word, and a heart for this community, for this city here in San Diego. In our vision from the start, as you look back, I mean, it started in my backyard, um, and then we moved and got the trailer and everything and, and, and had these set up services, these priest services, in September 2015. So that's the little group that helps set up everything. But, but why did all that happen? Well, we said our vision from the beginning was to be a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus. And, and we asked, well, what does that mean? Well, one of the the meanings of it is this, that we are not a church here for ourselves, we're here for others. It's not just about what happens in a service on a Sunday morning, but it's about what happens seven days out of the week. Being a church for our city, being a church for others. And since we started, some cool things have happened. Over 40 people have met Jesus and been baptized. Yeah. Helped plant a church in Loja, Ecuador through Compassion International. And 25 kids in that church are sponsored by you invested time and resources into loving and serving our community through school supplies, volunteering at local events, being involved in the community. Because again, that's being for the city, being here. In July, this past uh, July, we had our third annual City Kids Sports Camp, which uh, was our largest. And, and we had a free camp for our community, So that's what it is, a free camp every year, the third annual camp. We had that this past year and it was our largest attendance of kids. We partnered with Homeless Outreach and uh, also reaching the Burmese refugees in our city through Agape Myanmar Mission. We implemented uh, having membership this past year. And so there are members of Grace City Church that said, I'm all in to what God's doing here. And this coming October, we're going to have a three-year anniversary uh, for our church on October 7th. So with all of that, it's exciting. It's so humbling because we just had our leader retreat with all of our volunteer team leaders. And I looked around and I said, you know, there there are more people now in the room than when we started Grace City. And there was about... 13 people in the room. So there's a big difference, big difference. And the only reason I believe that's possible or that has happened is because of what Psalm 118.23 says, and it's this, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's the Lord's doing. You see, Gray City exists because we believe that God brought us here. And he designed the local church, not as a social club which exists for itself, but as a group of people who have great hope for our community and are willing, listen to this, to disadvantage ourselves for the common good of the city, for the common good of others. See, that's what we say when we say we love our community with no strings attached. This isn't just so that we can get people in the doors of the church here, but we are here to love our community, love our city with no strings attached, because that's how Jesus loved us. And the second part of this statement, to seek new life in Jesus, we pray for our community that, that they will know and love Jesus Christ. We pray that people will meet him. See, we're here to bring a message that no matter how weary, beaten down, depressed, lost, rejected you may feel, or even how cynical our culture can get, we believe that there is a message of hope in the gospel, a message of hope that there is new life in Jesus Christ that's possible for any of us no matter how far we've run. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy. It's God's kindness, and it's available to us all. And so if you're new to Grace City today, Vision Sunday is the perfect day for you because this will give you a picture of who we are as a church and the direction we're headed. If you've been with us for a while, I hope this is an encouragement to you of all that God has done. And I want you to know that God's not done yet. God's not done yet. And so this is a motivation toward what he wants to do next. Today, while talking about vision, I want to be clear, God is the ultimate leader of this church. God is. And we'll continue to pray and go in the direction he decides. You know, pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once warned. He said, God hates visionary dreaming, makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own laws, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community as if his dream binds men together. Here's the thing I know. It always was very humbling for me to realize that we were gonna plant a church. So much so that it's still weird for me at times when people say, oh, he's a church planter. I had this experience recently where I went to Hawaii, and that's where my family's from, and there's a church that supports Grace City. They have since the start, they pray every Sunday for Grace City. And so I had a chance to preach there this past summer. And um, being there at the church, getting to share all that God has done, it was awesome. It's just this small little group of 40 people that faithfully give and pray for for Grace City. And one person comes up to me afterwards and they say, Kahu, and Kahu in Hawaiian means pastor. And I thought to myself, Kahu? Where's the Kahu at? Like, you know, like, uh, is that me? Like, that's how I feel a lot of the times. But God has called us to be here and God has placed us here for a reason and and I'm so humbled to be a part of it. So what's God's vision for his church? Well, our text today is Proverbs 11, 10 through 11 and this is the, the text that God gives us because it gives us this beautiful picture of what his people living in a city looks like. His people in a city Living out the good news. You see, as Christians, we can have different views, various views of living in a city. One view is that we can run from the city. Christians have been known for us. It's this Jonah mentality, which we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah next month. But it's this Jonah mentality that, oh no, that all the bad things happen in the city. So I'm going to run as far as I can from the city. And there's no transformation that happens. Another mentality is not just run from the city, but we can use the city. Say, it's beautiful here. And and then it happens many times in in San Diego. It's like, it's beautiful. There's so many opportunities. I love this city, but I'm not willing to invest in the city. Again, talking with a friend recently who's a a church planter, he said, man, I'm having the hardest time. With convincing people to stay here on the weekends. He's like, you know, a lot of the times they'll, they'll work here and they'll be here, but they, they're from, you know, different parts that are pretty close. And so they just drive to different parts. And I, he's like, I'm just trying to convince them. Would you be willing to invest in this city? Would you be willing to build friendships here and relationships? Because I want to see this, tra- this city transformation happen. But what happens many times is we can come into a city, we can use it for all the benefits but then not really invest. And so what is God's vision for his people living in a city like you and me? Well, our text today gives us insight, and so we need to ask three questions from this text. Number one is this, who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Number two, how do they live? And number three, what are the results? Who are the righteous? How do they live, and what are the results? And so the first question, who are the righteous? Look at verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, at the very beginning, it says, when it goes well with the righteous. And so what we find here is there's a group of people, things are going well, life is going well, they are prospering. And it says, when it goes well with the righteous in particular. Now, the the word for righteous here is the word Sadiq. And it's a word used throughout the Old Testament to describe people who are the doers of justice. The doers of justice. Now, this is important. How does someone become a Siddiq? How does somebody become a doer of justice? What does the Bible define as a person like this? Is it someone who talks about how great they are? Is it somebody who cleans up their life and says, look at me, I'm a good person? Is it somebody who shames other people and says, look at all the things that I've done. Look at my life and give me praise. How does the Bible define the Siddiq, a righteous person? That's a really important question that we need to ask because here's what we find throughout the Bible is that the righteous person, a person that God declares righteous is someone who understands grace. Understands grace. Psalm 37 verse 39 says this, the salvation of the righteous, the righteous, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The way that the Bible describes the righteous, the Siddiq, all throughout the Bible is not someone who is self-righteous, but instead they've been made righteous. Let me say that again. They are not self-righteous. They've been made righteous. Righteous. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. See, the gospel should humble us. The message of Jesus should humble us because it doesn't say that you or I start out as righteous people. It says that we are more sinful than we could have ever dared believe. That as I look at my life, I I say, wow, I've got so many errors, I've got so many things wrong. Yet, because of Jesus, we are more accepted and loved than we could have ever dared hope. That's the message of Christianity. See, for some of us today, we've walked in and we say, man, how do I clean up my life? How do I get things together in my life? And I want you to know, just like we sang earlier, it is not by our power that we clean up our lives. It's not by our strength that we can obey the commands of God, but it is by God's power, God's strength, that the commands of God are possible. A righteous person understands that they've been made righteous because they serve a righteous God. You see, that's grace, it's grace. He cleans up our lives. You know, I see it all the time in my household because as my kids get older, one of the things that they try to do all the time is they try to put up this facade, this facade that they've got it together. The, 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 I didn't do that. We have been trying to figure out for so long who spilling the water all on the counter we, this is a real problem in our house we've been trying to figure out who has done it and i have asked every one of my kids because i know that i've asked my wife have you done it no you didn't do it you didn't spill that and just leave it all on the counter no you, okay um let me ask my oldest okay, okay you're eight years old did you go up there and no Ask my two girls, my six-year-old, no, Nobody, five-year-old, no. Nobody has done it, and it's just this mysterious thing that keeps happening in our house. Water all over the counter, just got papers all messed up, you know, and just like, what, Who, how did this happen? And the thing I know is that somebody's lying. Somebody's not telling the truth. And there was this moment last night where my son, he was just like, kind of, we were just kind of confronting him on like some things, you know? Like, hey, this is not true, son. Like, hey, be real with us. Tell us the truth. And I heard him in his room and he got to this point where he says, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep being such a bad boy? And I talked to him and I said, hey, here's the thing. We all need grace, buddy. We all need it, and we don't have to put up this facade like we got our lives together. See, what does a righteous person look like? It's somebody who can admit their failures and then say, I need a righteous God to cover me. I can't do this. What happens in the life of somebody who believes that? Grace produces a humble person more generous person, more loving person, more grateful person. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake, for our sake, Bible's very clear, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness, the sadakim of God. We might become, we didn't start there, but through the grace of God, we get there. It's because of Jesus. And so it's when we know that we need him, that is the righteous. And here's the thing I realize all the time. As I go through our city, as I sit on Genesee with all the traffic going through Genesee and I'm like, why are we not opening regions? Why are we not opening regions? No, okay, okay. I say, I don't have the love in myself to love our city. I need the love of God to fill my heart, right? because we get impatient. It's just not in us. But God makes us righteous through the blood of Jesus. Second question we need to ask from this text is this. How do they live? How do these people who who have been made righteous by God, how do they live? Well, again, verse 10, it says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. And verse 11. Now there's a lot here, but, but when it talks about when, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. What, like, why would the city rejoice when the sadakim, things are going well for them? Why would a city rejoice about that? Would they look at it and say, oh, well, just the the righteous are doing well, prospering, things are going well for them. Good for them. Are they just like feeling really good about other people prospering? No. See, the text tells us that the righteous are flourishing But as the city rejoices, this word for rejoice also points to the fact of like, almost like a liberation, a freedom that happens. It's like when the war is over, there's a new ruler, there's a a new person in charge. That's the type of liberation that comes over a city. That's the rejoicing that happens when the righteous are doing well. Why? Why? Because the Bible tells us that the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves for the good of others. That's what the righteous do. So it's not like this collection of blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Build bigger barns, build the storehouse. It's just coming in. No, it's it's saying that When good things are happening in the righteous in their lives, that it's not being greedy about it, but being open handed and saying, How can we share? How can we share what we have? How can we give away? How can we make this place a better place? See, when the righteous don't see what they have as their own, but as from God, a city is blessed. A city rejoices. They share the wealth, opportunity, possessions that they have with others. You see, this is about action. The righteous are tangibly making a difference in their city. They're not just talking about it, They're getting out there and doing something about it. See, why do I say, here's all the things that have happened? Here's all the things that have been done. Because as God has richly blessed this church, richly blessed this church, our only response is to say, God, we are here to bless others, we are here to give it away. Because you know what happens in storehouses and barns? It rots. Wasn't meant to be in there. It's like the manna that falls from heaven, right? It was like God only gave it for that day. And so it was meant to go out and make a difference. And that's what the righteous do. Verse 11 is the contrast of the righteous. Here's what it says. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. So it's talking about the righteous in that they do something, they make a difference with their hands, with their feet, they go out and make a difference. But by the words of the wicked, it is overthrown. What does that mean? It means that the negativity and talk about, here's all the things wrong with our city, here's all the things wrong with our community, I'm gonna get on Facebook and talk about it or I'm gonna get on a community page and talk about how terrible our city is, our community is. That does happen. It says with that type of attitude, it says that's how a city is overthrown. That's how it's torn down. Do you know the thing about that negativity, that cynical nature? Usually there's a lot to say but not much difference is being made out in the real world. This verse says that people who live that type of lifestyle ruin the culture of a city. But as believers in Jesus, we are not called to sit back and criticize. We are called to jump in and help, jump in and serve. Timothy Keller says, you see cynicism I have nothing bigger to live for than my pocketbook and my stomach and my career. Those people can never bless the city. They have no hope for it. They have no confidence for it. In 2008, right around the the recession, several churches, local churches up in Portland, Oregon, uh, gathered together. And what they did was they approached city officials to find out the hunger, poverty, um, homelessness, health and wellness, human trafficking, environment, and public schools. Uh, The church said they wanted to do a partnership with the city and and began to come alongside and improve some of these areas. And Sam Adams, who was the mayor of Portland, said his initial, initial reaction was anxiety. Would this be about missionary work? And could our city of Portland pull this off? The church leaders promised the mission was not to proselytize, but rather to serve the needs of the city. Adams uh, admitted that he was a little hesitant about it, but the needs were too much to decline the help. And so the church has mobilized 26,000 volunteers to work on service projects in each of the six areas of need. They stocked and served the food bank, worked to feed children in the summer school programs, beautified public spaces through coordinated cleanup efforts, provided tutoring for the school, ran free medical and dental clinics for low-income residents. One pastor said, we wanted to bless the city. We wanted the city to miss us if we were ever to leave. You see, that is what it looks like for the sadaqim, for the righteous, to live in a community in a city. It's to say we're here to bless and to help And the last is, what's the result? Look at verse 11. It says this, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. So we need to ask, how is a city transformed? How's a community transformed? Another translation for by is the word through, through. Think about this, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. One commentator said, he says, I don't think that means they're sort of standing over the city on a mountaintop saying, I bless you, dear city, or sprinkling holy water on it, or pronouncing some kind of formula, it means they are All they do blesses the city. And in the context of speech all through here, it is the blessing of the upright in their counsel and their advice and their integrity and their pursuit of justice and righteousness. It is through that. See, what that is is an invitation for all of us to say as believers in Christ, through whatever it is that he's placed in my hands, wherever it is that he's placed me within the city, whether it be at UCSD, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in my neighborhood, wherever it is that God has placed me through the blessing that you've placed in my hands, God. May I bless the city what happens is it says that the city is exalted. A city is lifted up. A city rises up. You see, one of the things that I know in our community and all over is that there's great need. You know, I, I remember the conversation I had one time with a, a community leader who said, we, we you know, you're, you're doing the sports camp, but we don't really need that here. Everybody's pretty well off and they can, they can get into a sports camp. But then we see over 80 kids that sign up for a sports camp. And what happens is a community is lifted up. Kids are lifted up in the city. You see, we, we need to ask God, how are we in tune with the needs of others? Because it could be something as simple as just a smile that could lift someone up. But that's something that God has placed in your hands to be a blessing to others. And so just some takeaways. How how will Grace City live this out? How will our church live this out? The first one is this gospel intentionality, gospel intentionality. One of the things that we've said from the start is, you know, our vision is to be a church for a city that seeks new life in Jesus. But a part of that, and really the practical on the ground is this, like, how does that happen? Well, it's to equip you with the gospel for everyday life. It's to equip you with good news for everyday life. It's to send you out into the world and say, man, I need the good news today so that I can be good news to somebody else. Our job is to equip you with that. You need to know that you are loved not because of anything you do, but because of everything that's been done for you by Jesus Christ. We live in a world, and especially in our city, that is overridden with anxiety, depression, Feelings of worthlessness and that I haven't done enough. And what that is, is there's a huge need for people to know that they're loved. Not because of anything they can do or because of their performance, but because there's a God who said, I love you and value you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything I will do to pursue you and love you right where you're at. We need to know that every day. In 2002, Mr. Rogers gave his last commencement speech at Dartmouth College. And here's how he ended his speech. Now, if you don't know uh, Mr. Rogers, I just watched the movie. If you haven't watched it yet, there's a documentary out. Um, Would You Be My Neighbor? Great movie. But one of the, the things that, that he felt a calling to was to go minister to people, he was an ordained pastor, to minister to people um, through television. And so in his last commencement speech, he sang this song which is, is very famous um, because he sang it on the show all the time. It's, it's this song, it's you I like, it's you I like. And so he sings this song and then he ends with this. He says, what that ultimately means of course is you don't ever have to do anything sensational for people to love you. When I say it's you I like, I'm I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you could ever see or hear or touch. That deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate, peace that rises triumphant over war, and justice that proves more powerful than greed. So in all that you do in all your life, I wish you the strength and the grace to make those choices which will allow you and your neighbor to become the best of whoever you are. Here's the thing. The only reason that you and I ultimately can have the sense that we don't have to do something sensational in the world to prove our value and our worth, is because the most sensational thing has already happened. Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And the righteous, as a person who is a sadakim, righteous, feeds off of that every day. Feed off of that every day. That's your motivation. Because you're gonna walk into places and you're gonna feel completely inadequate. You're going to feel like I'm not good enough. You're going to have these ideas in your mind that there's no way that I could ever make a difference. One of the things that he struggled with at the end of his life was, he's like, I don't even know if I made a difference. The only thing that we can feed off of and know that our lives matter is that Jesus said it matters. You matter. Your life matters. You matter so much that I will die for you. So if anybody tries to make you feel like you don't, you feed off of what God has done. What God has done. Gospel intentionality. And so I promise you as a church, we will preach that every week. And we pray that you will preach that to yourself every day. That you know you are righteous because of God, not because of yourself. The second is this, missional equipping. Here's the thing. In 2010, Mark Green, uh, he's this uh, institute director, gave this speech about human potential. And here's what he said. He says, the model of most churches is to recruit the people of God to some of their leisure time to join the missionary initiatives of church paid workers. He says, that's the, the common model of a church is just to be like, hey, just, give us a little bit of time, you know, like, and that's what we equip you for is just to serve on a Sunday morning. But here's the thing, the model we need is, and I didn't know about this speech till not too long ago, but he says to equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their lives. To equip the people of God for fruitful mission in all of their lives. Here's the thing I want you to know, that your life and what you do every day, it matters in the kingdom of God. Every endeavor that you put your hand to, whether you are watching your kids and taking care of them, working on a cure of some kind that can help thousands, maybe millions of people, an invention that you're a part of, some type of thing where you're investing your creativity into something. Whether you value that as big or small, it all matters because God says it matters. Everything matters when you do it to the glory of God. So here's the thing, we are here to equip you for that. And so, like I said, in the month of September, we're gonna go through the book of Jonah and look at this prophet who ran this missionary who ran from the city, but God is calling him back into the city. And what does it look like for our lives to lo- learn to love a city? Because it, I, and it's important that we put in the word learn. We need to learn to love a community, a city. See, because more naturally what we do is we love those who are like us. We love those who we feel like we can relate to. But what does it look like to love a city? Because a city is diverse, it's different, you've got people from everywhere, and they're not going to be like you. And that's what Jonah was struggling with, is God called him to a people group that was not like him. And he's like, God, I am not doing it. I'm not doing it. But how do we learn to love as God calls us to love? So we're going to look at the book of Jonah. And then in September, we're going to have these trainings. So you just come a little bit early and and learn right here. I've got my friend Jeff Sue who started Flourish San Diego. And here's his whole mission, to equip people and churches to live on mission every day in their workplace and, and wherever they go. And so he's one of those guys who sits around and thinks about this all the time. And as I sit with him, I say, man, can you come help us, train us in in these things? Because you know way more than I do. You've been studying this way longer. And so will you come? And so he's going to be here helping us in the month of September, the last three weeks in September, going through some of these trainings. And then we are starting in October our city groups. Again, we want to see these city groups thrive and flourish and, 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 and grow Last year, we had nine to 10 city groups. I would love to see that expand. And here's the thing. When we said uh, nine or 10 city groups last year, we thought that's a really big ask. You know what I mean? Like that, that sounds crazy for our church. That's never happened before, and it did. And so I believe that God is calling us to continue to see that happen. And in those city groups, we're just gonna start with this, the five habits of highly missional people. What does it look like to live on mission in your everyday life? Taking the gospel to wherever you go. Another way that we're gonna be equipping is this, a focus on youth. I was a youth pastor for eight and a half years. This week, we had our staff meeting over at the New Bird Rock, over like kind of in Torrey Pines area. It was kind of a cool little place down there. So we had our staff meeting there, grab some coffee. I go up to the counter and uh, this girl says, you look familiar. I was like, okay. I was like, I think you kind of do too. And she says, where have you lived? I said, well, I'm originally from Hawaii. I lived in Indianapolis and then I lived in Georgia for a short time. She said, Georgia. That's it, Georgia. Okay. Uh, she said, Were you a youth pastor? Yeah. She said, I used to come to the youth group when I was in middle school. How did you get all the way over here in San Diego? The thing I know is that when you're a youth, like, that's where I became a Christian. Was it when I was in high school? And I knew the impact that people had in my life at that age. And one of the things that as this church grows and as we start to dream is this, as I drive by the middle school and we're in a high school, I think who's there for these, these students? Who's loving our community? Who's loving our students? And so I'm asking if, if you feel a calling to middle school students, stay after for volunteer. Training, I'm going to be talking with you. I, I worked with middle school students for five years, and people were like, that's crazy. Working with middle schoolers, that was the most fun I had. I was, I was like this rigid, kind of stiff guy, man. When you work with middle schoolers, they don't let that fly. You know what I mean? Like, they'll like pie you in the face or silly string you or something to loosen you up a little bit. I'm telling I had so much fun. And we need people that are just like, man, I want to be here for the youth, be here for our community. Because we just had some uh, fifth graders that just went up to middle school. And we need somebody to be there for them. And Young Life is starting here at this school to reach high school students. Young Life is coming. They're here. And um, I met up with Andy this week. And I know that I'm talking with city groups saying, hey, would you adopt this school? Would you adopt this school and be here for the students that are here to reach high school students? Because they need support on campus. And and one of the things too is we're gonna support campus ministry, we're gonna continue to support campus ministries that are happening all throughout, InterVarsity, Young Life, um, Destino, Crew. We are on campus at UCSD supporting the students that are here. We have your back. We want to resource you, we want to help you. And last is this, just radical generosity. God has called us the Sadiq, the righteous ones. And the thing is, as we've been made righteous by God, he has called us to be radically generous with our lives. Radically generous. And so I'm excited to announce that this year we're going to visit our Ecuador church plant. It's going to be March 23rd through 30th, 2019. It's taken a lot to work out, but here's the thing. It is growing. There are more people that are invested in that local church community there, and they're excited for us to come. They're excited for us to come. And so that's when the trip is going to be, March 23rd and 30th through 30th, and we're going to give more announcements about that. Another thing is we're going to be a part of, at the end of this year, praying that we can raise $20,000 to give away, to give away to our community, to bless our community. And we'll be a part of another church plant in Tokyo, Japan. And so we've already... Talked with Pastor Sema of Grace Harbor Church that's out there. And here's the thing. I, Oliver is raising support to go out to Japan and he sent me the support letter. Only 1% of people in Japan claim Christianity. 1%. And so our hearts should beat for those that are out there. And you know, you say, well, how's that gonna happen? How's this all gonna work out? Here's the thing, I, I, I never know how it's gonna work out. But one of the things I, um, I know is that God is faithful. And this year um, at our City Kids sports camp, one of the things I said was that this camp, as long as God allows it to be here, it'll always be free because that's the gospel. Jesus came and served us free of charge. What Jesus said was this, he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, that's the gospel. And uh, Trevor, who's on our staff, was checking the mailbox one day and said, a check came in for $5,000. It was anonymous. And all it said was just thank you for serving our city. Thank you for loving our community. Here's the thing. I don't know how a lot of these things work out. I don't even know how we're still here other than it's him. It's all God. And so we give God all the glory. And we invite you, if you don't know him, he's waiting for you. He loves you. No strings attached. So much so that he gave his life for you. Let's let that be our message to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for how you, God, have changed our community and our city just by the small things that you've allowed us to do. Whether it be a community cleanup, whether it be just serving at local events, Lord, we just thank you. It's all because of you, God, that we're here. And so we just pray that you will continue to let your vision be known, not just in our church, but all of the local churches. I pray that just as it happened in Portland, Lord, that we'll be able to come together and just send people into the places where there are the greatest needs. We thank you for loving us right where we're at. We thank you for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.